Hello Audio Listener. Please subscribe, leave a like and review on the platform you're listening from. The video version of this show is on YouTube and the link will be in the description. Welcome back to another show. Today we've got Josh Garrett. Thanks for coming on board today, Josh. Cool, awesome. Thanks for having me. Uh, again? <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just going to start where we normally do. Josh, tell us a little bit about yourself, mate. Where are you from? Like, you know, your background and how did you get into this musical journey? Sure. Um, yeah, so I'm uh, born and raised in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is about uh, half an hour west of Detroit. And... Uh, you know, lots of, uh, well, deep Detroit roots, basically, on my mom's side of the family, going back, like, seven or eight generations, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, so being around Detroit and being exposed to the music in Detroit, you know, you've got Which, Motown. It must have been amazing. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, it's 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 crazy. You know, right. the, the radio that was happening when I was growing up in the 80s with, um, you know, you had The Wizard, Jeff Mills. Um, Jeff Mills. Jeff, yeah, oh, Claude Young on WHYT. Um, you had uh, the Electrifying Mojo, right? So you get exposed to all kinds of stuff. And, mm-hmm. like, it really was, uh, like, just a crazy music melting pot right like Mm -hmm. and even when i was in um like sixth and seventh grade um our bus driver her name was annette uh, Annette, and she had her bus wired with a stereo system right and she would put on tapes (laughs) that the kids would bring in and she always recorded like mojo she loved the police so like you'd always be hearing like sting and the police and stuff on there too so and prince right so that's like the big three things that she was always playing is like Mm -hmm. sting and the police prince and the electrifying mojo tapes and so you know grew up like I don't know if the parents would have been super happy to know that we were bumping around town listening to like Erotic City. Yeah, but, yeah. you know that's that's what we were exposed uh, to. Raspberry right? Beret, that's an okay one. To go to oh, school. Oh, absolutely. But but Erotic <laughs> City was definitely played. That's that's what I'm saying. Um, and so yeah, I mean, growing up with that, and then uh, in Ann Arbor there was a really good music scene as well. I mean, it's very very tied to Detroit. Um, mm-hmm. And so you know like. It's kind of funny if you're from there. Like I can't really say, oh yeah, I'm from Detroit. But if I'm if I'm away from there, it's like oh, I'm a Detroiter, right? Because like grew up sort of in the metro area. Uh, Ann Arbor's a satellite as opposed to a, um, a proper like suburb. But um, uh, anyway, that's a distinction. I think the satellites are like Flint, Detroit. Or, sorry, Flint, Ann Arbor, Toledo, and then you've got Detroit and it's sort of like core yeah. suburbs. Um, so yeah, so, so I grew up in that environment. Um, my parents are both into music. Um, my dad was um, a clarinet player and piano player and stuff, um, much more sort of jazz-focused, and he was in the U of M marching band, also University of Iowa, so Hawkeyes and uh, Wolverines. But anyway, um, my mom was always sort of paying attention to like what was new in music, yeah. a little bit more so than my dad. My dad had sort of the things he liked, uh, but like you know, my mom would bring home like Talking Heads records and like cool. um, you know Bob James, and we actually went to see Bob James when I was really young. Uh, he it was like 1983, and he was doing a demonstration on MIDI. Just you and your mom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went yeah, to Rackham so cool. at cool, University uh, yeah. U of M up there, and uh, yeah, Bob James was doing a demo of MIDI. Uh, it was around the time I think that his Obsession album was coming out, and he had used MIDI in it. And MIDI in 1983 was like brand new. Yeah, right? yeah, for sure. So it was like this mind blowing thing, and then like. Um, the fame TV show, there was the kid yeah, yeah. who was really into synthesizers. 
<laughs> you know and so seeing that and like oh man synthesizers look really cool right and so it's kind of funny because like um i came kind of came up through like a punk scene uh, in ann arbor there's a lot of punk going on mm-hmm. and being that we're kind of like in between chicago and detroit you know like you'd have bands like uh the necros and big chief later um in detroit and of course um you know Iggy Pop is from my hometown, uh, so is Bob Seger, right? Yeah. And um, so I went to the same high school that they did much, much later. Um, but uh, I went there for one semester before going to another one. That's another story, too. Anyway, but also the Chicago influence, um, because Chicago is only like three hours down the road. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, so uh, you'd have like, you know, uh, Big Black coming through town um, and a lot of the people from Touch and Go um, and sort of that Chicago influence. But then also uh, because of Wax Tracks, uh, in the industrial music, in like, you know, mid to late eighties, right. We had a lot of that. Um, and so, um, my sort of interest in synthesizers, but then also kind of coming up through a punk scene when industrial kind of popped up and like second, second wave, second and third wave industrial, really like skinny puppy ministry, stuff like that, where they're using synthesizers, but with like a punk attitude, mm-hmm. right. Um, it was like, wow, this is like really cool. So like you had this, um, sort of orbit around wax tracks and network records. Um, and so I think the first time I really, like the first time I heard Ministry Stigmata, I was like, right, it just like blew my mind. I was like, this is like the hardest, most aggressive, angriest music I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. It just like really spoke to me as like a Midwest, like Rust Belt kid, you know? Like yeah. there's something about it that just really made sense. And Fish. so, yeah, that, that's kind of how I got got into that stuff right and then uh got into clubbing probably around 15 or 16 um hanging out with a bunch of friends and they had a teen night at a um, club called the nectarine ballroom in ann arbor uh which jeff mills used to play at he played like a hip-hop night and stuff there um and so we were kind of kicking around one afternoon and like my buddies and i again were like a bunch of like punk rock kids goth kids you know and uh we decided to go as an ironic joke to um teen night and we're like, yeah, yeah, let's go to the club. And we get in there, and they're playing Skinny Puppy, KMFDM, Front 242. And there's girls there from out of town who we haven't known since we were like five, you know, and stuff. And we're like, oh, this is all right, you know. Like, so we just started going every every uh, week. And um, the DJ there was DJ Cyberpunk. Who's, I was going to uh, just ask who was the resident DJ. Yeah, DJ Cyberpunk. He's yeah. a buddy of mine now. Um, uh, John Court uh, lives in uh, – he's back in Michigan. He was living in L.A. for a while. But, um, yeah, so – he he and his crew he had a bunch of guys who were from like down river um in uh, the detroit area and they would come out to ann arbor uh for teen night and they'd all kind of like dj together but uh cyberhunk really he he set the bar for everybody right and then he kind of guided everything and he spent a lot of time doing like digging and making connections with like and what what was his style like yeah so what he was really into would be like um of course Skinny Puppy, Ministry, all yeah. that. But then also more obscure stuff like Antler Subway, stuff that we weren't really getting in North America. Yeah. Um, like Antler Subway, Zothamog, um, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then cool. he'd also kind of have to tailor things to the alternative kids too. Yeah. So he took over from, uh, he took over Monday nights, which was the adult sort of industrial night, industrial alternative. It really, it skewed industrial because that was his taste. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you'd have some Red Hot Chili Peppers and um, REM and stuff thrown in there too. Yeah. Um, and then he would burn off certain things earlier in the night so that, like, when it was peak time, he'd really just be throwing down the heavy stuff. And if people came up and said, hey, I want to hear, like, I don't know, some slow B-side from Depeche Mode or something, he'd be like, oh, no, I already played it. I already it. played it, bro. Yeah, exactly. Well, why wouldn't you hear it? <laughs> 
Nine o'clock. Yeah. Where were you? <laughs> yeah. Where were you? But it was funny. <laughs> like, it was like uh, Sunday night um, from six to 10. It's five bucks to get in. And then they had like, you know, just line pop up on the bar, right? So it's just free pop. So, yeah. you know, five bucks and you've got your next four hours of, you know, whatever. That's so, cool. Yeah. So that's kind of how I got into going out. Um, yeah. And then like once you turn 18, you kind of graduate to the Monday night industrial nights. Um, and then you end up also then going into Detroit to go to like City Club. Um, which was the other industrial uh, club and that would be on Saturdays. And did you guys obviously travel into Detroit quite a bit? Oh yeah, there? yeah. Well, my entire life, like yeah. uh, my great grandparents lived in uh, North Corktown, which is also known as um, Briggs neighborhood. It's uh, where the old Tiger Stadium used to be. Okay. And so um, Corktown's kind of cut in half by Michigan Avenue. So if you're north of Michigan Avenue, you're in North Corktown, and if you're south of Michigan Avenue, you're in Corktown mm-hmm. or Old Corktown, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's obviously the old Irish neighborhood. Did you ever travel any further and go to other cities just to check scenes out at the time? Or was it pretty much you just stayed where you were because it was so good there? Um, yeah, so there's a funny thing about the whole Detroit and Midwest thing is, um, so I got into DJing around 91, I guess. Uh, and I was playing industrial because that's that, that was the scene that I was um, really in. Yeah. I was aware of house music at that time, um, but... It was sort of like, I mean, I loved Future, you know, like Your Only Friend was like probably the first like real Acid House track I really heard. And like yeah. just, again, that was because of Mojo. Yeah. Um, and house music being coming out of Chicago, it was influencing Detroit and Ann Arbor at the time, so I was aware of it. Um, but I started um, <coughs> DJing Industrial and uh, for university, I went out to Massachusetts for about a year and a half. And got in with a few guys there, um, and we sort of had a little DJ crew, and we'd do like industrial and alternative and various um, college radio stations, and, and uh, people would bring us in to do parties, and, and we'd play like these little clubs and stuff. Um, and then I moved back to Michigan uh, after about a year and a half um, for a variety of reasons. And um, my girlfriend and I also split up around that time, and uh, this would be 93. Uh, and then I was... Um, God, you're old. Yeah, I know. I'm ancient. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but I was I was back in there and I was talking to a buddy of mine and uh, we used to have a thing called MNET in Ann Arbor, which was like, it was a bulletin board, but it was connected to uh, a, sort of a precursor of the web. Like it wasn't wasn't graphical at all, right? Okay. But you could You could connect to different Altos systems and around the world, right? It was, it was a worldwide network. But it wasn't like what we think of the internet. Okay. But anyway, I was okay. in a chat there and I was talking to a buddy of mine. I just split up with my girlfriend's kind of depressed. And he's like, why don't you come out to a party tonight? Right? Like uh, Richie Houghton's playing. Um, and this was like my first like underground. Um, mm-hmm. And so we went to, uh, um, it's a spot called The Bankle on Woodward. And it's like a, a theater space, right? So nice. one half of it's a theater and the other half is probably like the storage room or something for the theater. Well, the party was in the storage room side. And we were, uh, we were hired to do lasers. At it, and so my buddies had sort of like rigged up these like kind of janky things with like um, RC car um, remote control, remote controls yeah, yeah, and yeah, servos yeah. and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And they had these mirrors, and so we took these lasers, and these lasers are big, big honking things. Again, like this is like '93, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's like you don't have like Early the pocket days. lasers yeah, yet. Yeah. So we had these things mounted on these wooden frames with these like two mirrors, and they but you did not have granular control or, or, or yeah. any sort of like discrete control. It was all like, everything was like, you know, like that. So they were basically useless. So we ended up just taking the lasers off of them. We climbed to the top of this platform and just uh, wave them around. Um, but the DJs were that night, I think it was Richie, 
um, Jetstream and Boomer. So Jetstream was from Windsor, uh, Boomer's from Toledo, um, Richie's from Windsor. Yeah. And so um, that was my first party. So that was like April 10th, 1993. Cool. Um, and Rich played until... 8.30 in the morning. There was one girl left dancing, and he was still playing. And this was before Plastic Man, right? So he hadn't yeah. sort of um, really sharpened his image into sort of what he is. Yeah. yeah. So he was wearing, like, blue jeans with happy faces painted all over him yeah. and stuff. like that. You wouldn't faces. see that, you know? And he wore, <laughs> but, yeah, so that, but that, that, that was amazing. And then, like, I went back to Massachusetts for about a month after that, and I was just, like, telling my buddies about this. And there was also... Uh, around that time, there was a series, uh, a party series at a club called Industry in uh, Pontiac, which is Pontiac's about you know, 45 minutes north of Detroit. So it's a pretty good drive mm. to get there from Ann Arbor. But we would go like every weekend. Uh, and they had a uh, party series called Cyclotron, which was focusing on Detroit artists. So Richie was one of them. I, I can't remember who the other three were offhand. I'd have to look it up. But they also, the See the Light Tour came through that summer. And that was... Uh, Aphex Twin, Orbital, Vapor Space, and Moby. Wow. Wow, man. And, you know, good light. Uh, oh, unbelievable. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, and so it was funny because when they did it at Industry, they have a stage and then they have these like platforms above and then they have this area behind the um, behind the dance floor under these stairs. So um, Vapor Space opened and he was on the platform up here and then Moby played from the stage and it was basically cool. a rock concert, right? Um, oh, yeah. And what was funny though is because like, I didn't realize like Drop a Beat had lyrics. Right, so he's up there and he's like singing to drop a beat, and then the audience is singing to do it. And I'm going like, how do you, how do you know the how do you know the lyrics, mm. right? Because like the album version is just there's no yeah, anyway. it's instrumental. Yeah. yeah, it's weird, but uh, anyway, I guess a lot of big Moby fans. Um, I gotta admit, mm-hmm. Moby Go, the original, oh. like when that first came out, me, yeah, again, I, I'm I'm a, a, an old <laughs> raver. That was an iconic track, man. Fucking just blew everyone's mind. Yeah, and the rainforest still sounds mix. great now too. Yeah, I still love listening to it now. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, that that Twin Peaks like string roll over yeah, in the man. piano and yeah, yeah. I was always partial to the uh, the rainforest mix, but mm-hmm. that's because it's the heavy. Yeah, you know, but uh, yeah, and then Orbital played uh, from behind everybody on me, the, and then Orbital, Apex Twin still fucking Orbital. rocking. Orbital, yeah. yeah, right there, mate. Oh. One of the best sound systems, mm-hmm. actually. Not one of the cleanest, nicest sounding sound systems, but mm-hmm. powerful and dynamic. I went to watch Orbital, um, I think it was Exeter University, and it was mm. in a gymnasium. Oh, okay, yeah. Which isn't really an ideal fucking <laughs> No, lots of, lots of uh, reflections there. <clears throat> but they had their sound system almost like this. Mm-hmm. Like they had the rigging up above, and it was in a 360 circle. And in the middle of the hall was their tower. Oh, okay, yeah. And they built a scaffold tower, and they were up above, right up there. That's cool. Right in the ceiling with their little glasses, with the yeah, fucking with the lights. lights on. Yeah, man. <laughs> and I stood right right underneath that tower, mm-hmm. as central as I could get, and the fucking sound, man, was doing a 360. Wow. Like, the, the whatever, I can't remember the name of the module that they used back mm-hmm. then when they were making their tracks, but... It literally sounded like it was going right round the fucking hall, mm-hmm. man. One, honestly, one of the best fucking... I've seen them a few times, but that one right there. Mm-hmm. And again, when I walked in, I was like, ah, oh, gymnasium? <laughs> Maybe. No, man, fucking mm-hmm. mind-blowing. Those yeah. guys are fucking... Oh, they're, they're crazy. Unbelievable. I mean, like, the very first Orbital track I ever heard was Satan because mm-hmm. of... 
I'm a Butthole Surfers fan as yeah, well. Yeah, I've got it on vinyl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> cool. But, uh, yeah, and, like, just hearing what they did with it, and then hearing Belfast, and yeah, then Belfast, Chime. And, yeah, Chime. Know. Chime again. Fuck, man. And I, the I've Brown got album. a bit of their stuff on vinyl, mate. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, again, because it's, mm-hmm. fuck, man. And, again, to me, it still sounds timeless. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, like, you listen to that now, you're like, wow, man. Oh, they, like, they had their own thing. Yeah. You know? And 100%. They don't sound like anybody else. I saw them once at Glastonbury. Mm-hmm. Mm. And they just went past, and we were watching. Who the fuck we were again? Mm-hmm. I was obviously hammered. <laughs> um, we were. I think we might. I think I might have even gone to watch the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, okay. I don't know if you know Glastonbury Festival. Yeah, more it's a pretty it. big festival, mm-hmm. and they've got shit going on all over the place. Different mm-hmm. music, different stages. Da da da. And I'm pretty sure we were watching Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I was at the back and I was hammered. And all of a sudden, this big floaty-looking ship thing started driving through the fields. And it was Orbital. Oh, okay. And they were just driving past with the sound system. And mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, yeah, no, I'm good with red ch- chili peppers. Yeah. I'm going to go and follow that thing. <laughs> right? And the lasers were going like, fuck, mm-hmm. yeah, man. A little Pied Piper action going there. Yeah, mate. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they played and then uh, Aphex Twin played from the stage. And uh, you couldn't see him. Uh, he was up behind the stacks. And he mm-hmm. had a guy dancing, um, but if he wanted to see him, he had to go up to where Vapor Place had Vapor Place Vapor Space had played from, and he could like look over the edge. And he was just laying on the floor smoking and really twiddling just his three hundred three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but uh, that was amazing. Floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just laying on the floor. Yeah, yeah I'm good here, boys. <laughs> <laughs> I got but, this. Yeah, so it was, it was amazing that whole summer. Like, <coughs> now, one of the things about being from um, around, you know, well, being from the Midwest and Detroit in particular, um, is that you kind of get a chip on your shoulder about being from that area, mm-hmm. uh, especially like if you feel connected to the city of Detroit. If you're from Ann Arbor, you really have a choice about whether or not you feel you're connected, connected to Detroit. Yeah. You know? But since my family, you know, like my great 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 grandfather. Yeah, four grades. Uh, moved from County Kerry uh, to Dearborn to Chicago, or from Detroit, Chicago, back to Dearborn. And so they had a family farm there that was, like, next to the Ford farm. So there's a bunch of, like, uh, where, um, uh, well, there's, there's, a, there's a cemetery and a Catholic church and stuff that my, that my family donated on the land for and stuff. And if you drive through Dearborn, there's, like, family name stuff. Like, not That's Garrett, because cool. Garrett's cool. in yeah, Iowa, yeah. but yeah. from Daly and uh stuff so yeah like my family's been there for a long long time and so because of that and because my uh great-grandfather and my great-grandmother were still living in corktown we used to drive into detroit all the time and um when i was a little kid we drove past hart plaza and there was like a jazz fest or some sort of fest going on there was all these people and uh, i said to my mom man i want to live down here right and so i was like okay yeah this is a city kid you know like but just that i've had that connection to detroit um, since being a little guy because mm-hmm. like we used to go in to see my you know my great grandparents uh, I remember them in the neighborhood and um, like my great grandfather worked for Ford for like 41 years you know he was, oh, yeah. was the main like sort of factory and income wasn't it for Detroit the Ford yeah Ford well, GM was, I was going to say was, GMC was there as well right yeah, yeah, yeah. That cars in general right? yeah, yeah just yeah. cars in general yeah. same with Windsor Oh right? yeah, yeah Windsor on the other side mm-hmm. they, they had their car yeah, industry right in fact um, my well, let's see. My mom's biological father's father was, uh, he snuck over the border from Windsor to yeah, go right. work for GM yeah. um, under a false name. 
uh, they found or no, under his real name. They found him. They kicked him out of the country, and then he snuck back in under a false name. Right. And they <laughs> kicked him out of the country. Again. But just yeah, to work. exactly. Like just to work in the in the in the plants because yeah. like it's good money. It's good money. It's money, money. Yeah, yeah. 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 You got yeah. it right. Absolutely. Oh yeah. I mean, there's entire cities that exist because of it now. Like, uh, oh, you know, for sure. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's the same yeah. in the UK, right? With the car brands there as well. You know, mm-hmm. it's really Actually, even the, yeah. the shitty little city I grew up in, Swindon, we've got a Honda plant. Um, and it was Rover back when I was younger, but it's now the BMW plant. Big plants, man. So same town as Jack Dangers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Meat Beat, I love Meat Beat. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> so that's fine. So, um, going back into like uh, Detroit mm-hmm. then, what was like the uh, best sort of venue that you went to, the best sort of act that you saw play? Ooh. I mean, and that's hard one because you've ruled off some really good names. That's a tough one. Very broad question right there. But like, what what one stood out to you the most? Okay, so um, in terms of venue, Mm -hmm. um, okay, let's see. The best club uh, was probably the Shelter, which was also attached to St. Andrew's Hall and also had the Burns Room, right? So you had like three floors of, and they would do three floors of fun and stuff too, right? Okay. But, different but, sound systems, different music, each floor kind of thing. Drums. Yeah, the weekends yeah. they'd have like, you know, like, um, like, you, like okay, for example, you might have Richie Houghton in the basement, Dr. Alex Patterson in the, in the Burns Room. Wow. Um, and then like the main room, you know, like I've seen Speedy J in the main room there before. He okay. spent 15 minutes just making different parts of the room rattle. Wow. You know, <laughs> but uh, so like probably the shelter industry was really good back when it was happening in terms of like uh, being like a New York style nightclub in Detroit. Um, best act, man, that's a tough one. Like, um, that's why I asked it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when when Rich was at the height of his powers, like he he's untouchable. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of an easy one. Uh, D win fantastic um someone brought laurent garnier through oh really? garnier. I, i've seen yeah. laurent a few oh, times I've seen like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Un- yeah untouchable you know yeah. um and then chuck hampton he's not really well known outside of michigan um and even in michigan so like i don't know do you guys know carlos Sufront? are you aware of him or? no okay no. so there's um there's a couple guys who are attached to the interdimensional transmissions you know that label mm-hmm. um so ectomorphs label yeah. um so they had sort of a crew around them and chuck hampton and carlos Sufront uh were part of that and those two guys are two of the best djs in my mind to ever have come out of detroit like technically wise selection, and selection selection, selection. selection. i mean selection's key yeah selection's Te- more important than being mm, technical absolutely. you know like, um, te- technically you know i can take someone who's sloppy as long as they're giving me really good stuff but mm-hmm. if you're technically good but you're giving me boring yeah man you know, oh, I, yeah, I, I totally yeah. agree i, don't have much I totally agree like you mm-hmm. can throw down some tracks and your mixes can be a bit sloppy but if they're great tracks and they go to get it that's yeah it's still good so so like right? do you remember when the richie's mix mag mix came out and around the same time Jeff Mills's Liquid Room. Yeah, well, Liquid Room. Yeah. Fuck me, I might even have that on fucking. Bar. Well, they came out within like the same couple months. But the mix, I used to. Cl- I wish mm-hmm. I still had all my old mix mags and all the tapes that came out with it. Yes, mm-hmm. mate, I had them all. Yeah. Right. So I'm pretty sure I fucking had. Well, that this one, one wasn't the cover one. This, okay. They sold it. So oh. um, it was supposed to be. I think it was supposed to be a cover mix, but then they decided that they could sell it instead. Mm-hmm. And um, what's interesting is. And the selection's great in both, right? Because, I mean, but but you're getting Rich's take and you're getting Jeff's take, right? And the Liquid Room, it was done live, right? It was, like, in the club and it's recorded, warts mm-hmm. and all, you know? And uh, Rich's was sort of programmed, 
right? So it's like it's it's perfect. Yeah. But the energy level in um, the liquid room mix is like it's like you're there, and it's like it's got this excitement and this organic thing that, as much as I I still love Rich's mix, it just lacks that extra that little bit nudge. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. Didn't the, Jeff Mills incorporate the nine the is it the nine oh nine? I don't know if it's in that one. Uh, no, I don't think he the did liquid do that a lot, didn't he? He did incorporate a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, he'd be mixing in whack a 909 in there and just be like, add a few. And of course, Rich did that later with DE9 too, right? Yeah. So, but, yeah. Yeah. But it's same same sort of idea. Um, but yeah, I think the liquid room is just mixing. I remember like the first time I went to Germany, uh, I was staying with this woman in Hamburg and we drove to Kassel um, to go see uh, Jeff Mills play at Stammheim. And she'd never seen Jeff before. And um, she was just like, uh, transfixed, right? Because like he's playing a minute and a half of each track, and it's over the shoulder. Right? Yeah, it's just like you know, just like a machine, yeah. and she's just going like, "I love that song, mixing." Yeah, right. but that's also yeah. why it's like so, like you know, yeah. it, it's like you're hanging on to a car while you're going around the corner, and For the doors sure. are flying open. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the wheel's about to fall off. Exactly, but I've right? got it. It's just Don't that like adrenaline, yeah. that excitement. There it goes. I'm good. Right? Yeah, and yeah. so uh, kind of getting back to that, like so, Jeff Mills. Uh, I've seen him a bunch of times in Detroit, and he's my number one all time. Jeff Mills, I've seen him a couple of times, mm-hmm. mate. Fucking unreal. He's also what got me back into like techno, right? Like, mm-hmm. so I'd, like yeah. talking about being from uh, like into into the industrial music, um, and I was kind of aware of techno. And like a buddy of mine, um, so there's a guy in Detroit named um, Gary Arnett who is a graphic designer. Okay. And he's designed a bunch of the really iconic label logos, like Transmat, um, the early Plus 8 logos, um, you know, like pretty much and a lot of clothing companies too, like Maurice Malone um, and stuff like that. He's also the guy who made the Made in Detroit logo uh, along with Robert Stanzler cool. uh, before Kid Rock ended up buying it. But that's, again, that's a whole other story. Um, but he uh, used to do parties uh, there as well. And so I had a buddy who was good friends with him. And so he would always get like CD compilations and stuff from. So I was aware of, of Detroit Techno and sort of like the Kevin Saunderson side of stuff, like oh, Reese Project. Reese Project, KMS man. And, no, oh, well, color yeah. love me. Oh, Oof. yeah. Oof. You know? Oh, and like, Oof. you know, uh, Rock to the Beat and um, Bang the Box. And fucking you know, real, man. Yeah. Again, yeah. iconic tracks. Oh, yeah. Timeless. But so, but. For me, being into like the harder industrial stuff, I was like aware of it. I liked the music, but mm-hmm. it wasn't really, really like I didn't connect to it the same way. But, like house music didn't really grab me um, the way that like you know wax tracks and network stuff did at the time. And then a friend of mine went to France um, when we were DJs in Massachusetts, and he came back. He's like, dude, they have Detroit techno sections in the record stores over here, right? And then if you're from Michigan, you're not even aware that this is a thing. This is actually else. a thing. Mm. You're yeah, just like, yeah. oh, well, these are the guys making the music and like heard some of this on the, the new dance show and stuff, right? Um, I could talk about that in a moment too. But um, he came back and he had X101 and I heard it and it just like, it clicked. I was like, I get this. This is like, this, this is, this is, this is it, right? Mm. Like it's real easy to go from Front 242 and Ministry over to X101 Underground Resistance, right? And now, of course, also, there's a connection to industrial music through Underground Resistance because both um, Jeff Mills and Mike Banks were part of the Final Cut, which was a Detroit industrial slash house project, right? So they did house music, but they also did industrial, mm-hmm. and they kind of blended the two um, stylistically because at that time, I mean, things weren't really like rigidly like this is this and this is this, right? Yeah. 
And so Jeff Mills and Mike Banks were both part of the final cut. Some political stuff happened there. Um, they weren't part of it. And then they formed Underground Resistance. And I mean, Underground Resistance even took a little bit of time to form up their style because if you listen to, there's a compilation called Hype Stuff you got to move to. Is it Hype Stuff Volume 1? Hype Stuff Volume 1. Have you ever heard that? No, uh-huh. I it's, haven't. No, it's Underground no. Resistance doing uh, Hip House. Okay, And cool. so it's, you know, it's not all just the core three guys, right? There's a few yeah. other people involved with it as well. And um, you get to hear uh, Robert Hood rap on it. Awesome. So, and if you think like the reason that his minimal stuff is so great is because there's no flow to it, right? It's so sort of like weird and mm-hmm. oblique and that's what really makes it cool. Mm-hmm. His rapping is like the same way. Like it, it's, he's not, he doesn't flow. It's yeah. all kind of like stilted and yeah, really? jagged a bit. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it's like, you can hear that sort of characteristic in what he does. And then when he brings it over to the minimal techno, um, sort of post underground resistance, um, yeah, it's like, that stuff's untouchable also. I mean, nobody can, it's, you know it's it's mad and again mm-hmm. like you 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 brought up um the fact that you were kind of in the punk scene too and i really feel and we've talked about it before mm. that and i've said it before it wasn't my quote someone else said it rave and electronic music is almost more punk than punk ever was mm-hmm. right? well like the look at the klf spot. for example yeah right? the klf i was just literally mm-hmm. at work two days ago telling someone about them burning the million pounds oh yeah right yeah writing the book on hey you, you want to get a number one hit in the uk mm-hmm. buy this here's book how you do it and this is how you do it yeah and, and, and then they started a group at, and they followed their own book and they did it mm-hmm. yeah and, and they got a number one hit they yeah were, it was, and again they were artists punks andrew weatherall mm-hmm. david holmes like fucking mm-hmm. a whole load of those old original acid house rave music producers were punks well i think the sound system mindset is yeah. that right it's yeah. like you're yeah, doing your own bricks. thing and yeah. like, do you your know. own thing mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. i mean yeah. it's like for us um as being kids in ann arbor right you'd have like a party in a basement and like you know someone would have like some equipment yeah and warehouse parties yeah, yeah. You, you know illegal shit yeah right yeah so so to you get know? back to um best venues but um because like so i mentioned the clubs but in terms of underground um, the best events that I can remember would be at the Packard plant, right? Um, and again, that's like straight up wow, illegal so. and dangerous. Yeah. And, you know, um, like, so I don't know if you've seen pictures of the Packard. I right? haven't myself, no. no. So that's no. where they made Packard cars. Yeah, okay. Um, and it's I'm like... I'm taking it as an industrially brick building kind of thing or as warehouse? It's or? a massive complex. Okay. Um, so it's like... It's got to be two blocks by four blocks. Wow. And cool. it's just like, right? And so, yeah. and it's a couple different uh, levels. Um, and there used to be a bridge. It collapsed last winter or the winter before. Ice got in there and, you know, they actually, someone had printed out a photo of what the bridge used to look like and they had hung it over it. So it looked like the bridge was still there. Yeah, but it was yeah, actually yeah, just yeah. like this crumbling <laughs> skeleton of it. And it just fell down one day over Mac Avenue. Um, but yeah, like in there. But I mean, you'd come out of there and you'd be like, blowing like black boogers for a week and your pants would just be covered up to here and like oil, like so hoop, like yeah, yeah and grease from the cars because yeah. i don't think anybody there, there was no like environmental reclamation yeah, or yeah. cleanup yeah, yeah and um so that was all questionable but i mean like some and, and were they illegal parties or oh they yeah there's yeah, no illegal. illegal yeah, yeah i'm yeah. sure that they had um, just breaking in and doing a party pay off the security people yeah and, yeah. yeah bring stuff in and mm-hmm. they would use different parts of the building every time right? really because yeah never you in just the same move. spot they would just 
that's cool yeah you just close off like i don't know if people even i mean i'm sure as they're going through the building now they're probably finding all sorts of artifacts from those parties yeah you know? yeah it blows my mind because obviously we've done this in the uk Mm-hmm. And to hear it from someone like across the pond, like the, in Detroit, <laughs> like it's similar, isn't it? But mm-hmm. Just in the states, yeah. Like, and again, what yeah. sort of years with the early nineties, late eighties, early nineties? This would have been ninety three, ninety four, into ninety five, early to mids. Yeah. And again, it was the same sort of thing in England, right? Mm-hmm. Fucking, the guys came back from Ibiza. Obviously, Paul Oakenfold, Danny mm-hmm. Ramplin, they went off and came back at late eighties, eighty seven, eighty eight. Yeah, and you guys had like the summer love '89, right? '89 yeah. was the '88, '89 was yeah. the big woo. Here we go. This is fucking. <laughs> let's start doing ecstasy and dancing to this music. It's yeah. fantastic, right? We, we were a little later. Yeah, but not much really. No, years. that's what I'm saying. Like it wasn't. You know, it's yeah. it, it's it's really it was very similar timing. Mm-hmm. And again, we had taken in, in American music, right, mm-hmm. and gone fuck yeah, that sounds good right mm-hmm. and brought it back and and obviously the balearic style of things mm-hmm. coming from ibiza but and then that's where all the english genres started coming from because as soon as the english boys heard this and were like fuck yeah that sounds mm-hmm. really good right well and then it bounces back over right and so then, then it bounces like, back over yeah it's, yeah. it's mad so then it? we're listening to apex twin yes and like you it's know. crazy how it works mm-hmm. isn't it okay in my mind techno is a form of house music mm-hmm. you know there are people who disagree with me but i, I actually totally know. agree with you because i almost think it's all a form of house music because house music's the root, yeah. House music's the root. It's like yeah. the piano of instruments. Yeah, ex- absolutely. And For so, me, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and so what's really the distinction? So, you know, techno is... So house music is Chicago. Um, Chicago is a friendlier city in some ways. Detroit's actually a friendly city. It's just that... Um, you got to watch yourself and where you are. Mm-hmm. It, and it used to be a lot worse. Um, the city, when you go there to visit now, it's not the city it was in the 70s, 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 90s. I would imagine it being kind of like New York was in the 70s and 80s, pretty ruthless. Yeah, and burning brutal. barrels yeah, in the street yeah, yeah, and all yeah, that kind yeah, of stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, I mean, there's still areas that it's like, Detroit is block to block different, right? So mm-hmm. one block will be fine, and the next block is like, oh, okay, this is a little questionable, you know? See, even that blows my mind as well, like the block to block different. Well, not really, I mean... Fucking right here in Vancouver. No, no, I mean like from England. Oh, from oh. yeah, yeah, like yes. for me, no. like, like you mm-hmm. have one block, you'll have a certain like it may be a lower like, like class mm-hmm. and then you literally just cross the road. It's like a rip. Yeah, it's, well, especially yeah. if you like if you're in Detroit and you cross over into Hamtramck, you know that's just one street over, and you're like all of a sudden it's like oh I'm just in the suburbs now. Mm-hmm. Right? Hamtramck yeah, is totally yeah. encapsulated by Detroit, except for one part where it touches Highland Park, and Highland Park is also totally encapsulated by Detroit. So you have two cities within Detroit that didn't incorporate when the city came together, but. Um, a little geographic. I don't know. Yeah, I I'm getting stuck in some history stuff. <laughs> this is a geographic one. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, oh, what was I going to say? There's something about all that. Um, looks like I lost it. But, uh, That's all good. But yeah, I've got we'll a question. Come back to sure. um, I've done some digging into like your like Instagram stuff like that. You've obviously been to a lot of clubs i've seen you went to burgoyne did you go to burgoyne i've been to burgoyne yeah yeah i mean i've just been the one time yeah you're very lucky to go there um, you've got quite the experience rave flyers no yeah. i know you've got a massive collection i've got quite a flyers. collection from back in the day yeah yeah mine from back in the day so yours mm-hmm. so i mean like did you so when you went you did you go get them from the is it was it the same as it was in england where you got the the flyers from the record store were they just on the cars like underneath the wind wipers like the wipers or yeah, I mean, um, back in the day, uh, you, you we would drive to Record Time in Roseville. Um, was that like the number one store in Detroit for 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were there were a few, but record time was sort of like the spot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, record time was was a was a solid record store. But what they had over everybody else is they had the dance room, and the dance room uh, you had guys like um, Rick Wade and. Um, uh, Mike Huckabee. So they actually had like peace. a little oh, nightclub eh? in the yeah. record store. Oh yeah, the DJs stocked really, and, 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 and would tell you like you know so like like Big Daddy Rick, um, Mike Huckabee, Brian Gillespie, um, and Brendan Gillen, right? So, and they all kind of had their DJs who would come and like they knew that guy's taste and they would pull records and they'd be like, "Are you walking?" They, they'd be able to look at you and be like, "I think you're gonna like this." Right? Yeah, there was like they had that magic. And yeah, the dance room was unbelievable. They carried all like a lot of the local stuff, um, stuff that was being distributed by Intellinet, which was, you know, John and Rich, and then um, Seventh City, which is Dan Bell's distribution. That's pretty fucking cool. You know, to have a and then, club in the in the record yeah, store. Like I've been in yeah. a lot of record stores mm-hmm. back home, and none of them that I ever went in actually had like a dance floor. Oh, they didn't have a dance floor, but just a, they had a, a room that was dedicated to okay. dance music. Because I was going to say that, that, that would be fantastic. That would be different. Like, this like a little mini club in a fucking yeah. record store. <laughs> well, <laughs> my mind all of a sudden was like, oh my God, that's like heaven. You could go in there and I dance. mean, you could, but it wasn't, it wasn't a dedicated spot. Well, like, it, there's a store in uh, London called mm-hmm. Phonica Records and mm-hmm. uh, Rishi Horton done his album release mm-hmm. in there and I told you about it, it said, mm-hmm. I think it was 200 people in the, sh- in the store mm-hmm. and you could only get the vinyl, the, the, buy it from there the first release mm-hmm. and he'd done his set and I didn't make it but a guy from my town did and he, he said it was fucking unreal because you're, you're only two, there's not even, I don't think it's even 200 it was even yeah. less than that you're in a record store and Richard Horton's right there playing his mm-hmm. whole album yeah, and it was just he said it's just phenomenal like absolutely phenomenal you got photographs t-shirts like signed vinyl it was like fantastic but the, then like the one in England wasn't it Black Market Records was the number one oh Black Market yeah. yeah Black Market was big yeah Flying Records was big Junior Boy's Own Shop was pretty mm-hmm. big back then yeah there was quite yeah. a few big ones right yeah um, but anyway, going back to the flyers. Sorry, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. the ritual thing and the I, record got, store. Going back to the flyers. Trying to keep Sorry. stories on deck here. Yeah, it's fine, <laughs> I know, right? We're just waffling on here like old men, aren't we? Um, <laughs> Give me a pint um, and see where we go. With the flyers, how many have you got? Because again, I've I got, have no I've got, idea. Yeah. I got a shoebox full of them. Nice. Yeah, I. Uh, they're mostly from Detroit, from the '90s uh, and Midwest and New England, uh, and then I've got a bunch from Germany uh, from the mid '90s. Uh, and then the rest of them are kind of like from up around here. That's pretty cool. We should actually have, um, we interviewed a guy a while back, a friend of ours, uh, Fat Media Dave. Yeah. Mm. And uh, he owns um, and runs the largest website in the world for flyers. Mm. Okay. Right, yeah. the largest database for flyers. So it'd be interesting to see what you've got and see if he's even got them on there. Because he literally just, people scan them in and send them in and he just mm-hmm. like dates yeah. them, you know, logs them, who was the artist, you know. Oh, wow, he keeps a whole database? Yeah. That's yeah, really cool. we even had the, one of the artists who done mm-hmm. the, the Flyers, Junior Tomlin. Yeah, Junior Tomlin, we did it. Mm-hmm. And and how he designed it, airbrushed oh, cool. it. And wow. They've become collectible again. Yeah. Like back back home right now, some of those old Flyers, the 88s and 89s. Oh, yeah, yeah, I bet. Oof, man, they're worth fucking money. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I've got some from some really critical parties. Yeah, um, man, that's pretty cool. I, I wouldn't. I'd love you know, to see it actually. I have to bring them out sometime. I, I, I should have bugged yeah. you to bring them in. We could have sat here with the box. Oh, we'd have like, to have a six-hour uh, podcast. Yeah. Then. <laughs> well, I think we're gonna have to do an episode. If you bring your flyer, yeah, then, we I'll, can do I'll, a flyer. I'll, I'll totally do that. Yeah, yeah, I think that'd be freaking yeah. wicked to do I, and I remember some of those mine. parties I'll show you mine you can show me yours <laughs> sounds good <laughs> see what jogs loose in the brain too. but uh, yeah so I mean the thing is like with the flyers I mean it was like you know as you were leaving parties kids 
would be, yeah. you know, they would have yeah. flyer people. You'd come out, they'd be on your uh, on your windshield wiper. Were you fascinated by the art or just who was on the list or uh, like, you know? Mostly who was on the list and yeah. was doing it. Um, if it was a really cool flyer, then like, like I have one from Germany that is, um, it's die cut. Like yeah. the whole thing oh, is just yeah, a yeah. punch, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, and it's just like all the text, everything mm-hmm. in it. It's just a white piece of paper that's knocked out where all the info it's is. It's cool, isn't it? Again, oh, we, we talked know. with Dave about it. Some of the money that was spent on the flyers back then. Oh, yeah. It's insane. They don't do it now. It's, no, it's no, you can't afford it. Like you, well, and the margin don't need to anymore. Gone. You just no. fucking do a flyer on your phone. Yeah, and people don't even want them anymore. Yeah. Like you try to give flyers away and they're just like, no, it's like, it's all Instagram yeah. or, you know. Yeah. you know. It's a shame because like, yeah. it's, yeah. a, it's a, for me, it was a big part of the thing mm-hmm. we used to come out excited oh yeah you know yeah, you I, I, like they used to full. throw them under your fucking windshield wipers on the cars in the parking lots mm-hmm. you'd come out like oh yeah what i'm gonna have today well and a bunch right? of mine are like all folded over and yeah, scribbled yeah, on because yeah. of the map point and all oh, that you know i can't like, even count how many good ones mm-hmm. i threw away as well oh, because yeah. you just come out and go yeah no fuck it fuck it fuck it i'll keep that one yeah i can remember sometimes in the parking lots outside the eclipse and bruno mm-hmm. rooms in swindon it'd be a sea of flyers because yeah. everyone had come out and gone yeah fuck off mm-hmm. yeah now right there looking at the market there was thousands of dollars getting thrown away oh yeah right mm-hmm. you know like i said some people right now there's been a couple of those 88 89s that have gone for like fuck me man 750 dollars thousand dollars but back in the day, that's all you had to advertise. That's like, it. We didn't have social media and stuff, nope. right? So it was all hand-to-hand. And I've still got you know, somewhere, my first ever flyer that I mm-hmm. got. And it was, we've talked about this on a show. I can't I can't find it right now, but I know it's in a box. I've got some membership cards as well. And it's a little bit of paper like this, mm-hmm. right? And it's just hand-drawn. Oh, wow. Black okay, pen yeah. on mm-hmm. a bit of white paper. And it's this little psychedelic thing. And all mm-hmm. the word goes around. And it's just telling you about the party. And then at the very end, there's a phone number. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And I literally got given it in a pub. This hippie chick walked up to us. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, you guys want to go to a party tonight? Mm-hmm. Here you go. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's cool. Found yeah. the phone number. Okay, go to this pub in this city. Went to that pub. Mm-hmm. Again, someone else random walked up. Mm-hmm. Boys looking for the party? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, go down here. <laughs> Right, and yeah. then that party again. We've talked about it. I, I'm waffling on. Mm-hmm. That went on for four days. Oh, jeez! Oh. My first ever like proper yeah. happy rave experience. Mm-hmm. I went home halfway through it, mm-hmm. and my mum was like, "Where have you been?" I was like, "I don't fucking know." <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, "Where are you going?" I was like, "Back to that field. I'll see you in a couple of days." Yeah. Right. Wow. And again, like I, I know I've still got that bit of paper somewhere, and it's just mm-hmm. this little bit of paper yeah well that, that's it right like right. i mean it's all about getting the word out and mm-hmm. i mean i actually was involved with designing flyers before i ever went to a party cool so like i was saying like i had a buddy who was friends with gary arnett mm-hmm. and everybody would hit up gary to do graphics and stuff and if gary didn't want to do it he would go to my friend and say yeah there's this guy who wants this thing do you want to do it instead and so uh he was like yeah sure and he was on a bit of a time crunch so he asked me to come in and help him so we did like cool. this flyer from hand drawn or software uh, all software so it's yeah. photoshop photoshop it's, yeah there's been like 92 so yeah. a lot of kai's power tools yeah you know um <laughs> anyway that that kind of sort of pseudo 3d rendering um, and then I did like um, a logo for a promotion company in um, Chicago called Sense Productions. Awesome. And that kind of got around. Do you still have any originals of that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I got some stuff here and there. I mean, it's all digital files. Right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But, but I, you I mean, still got it. Got it squirreled away somewhere, yeah. Nice. Um, in fact, I have some of Gary's stuff, like the original Punisher skull for Underground Resistance. Cool. You know? um, Mate, I'd love to see some of that. I actually yeah. wouldn't mind getting some files and printing them off. Yeah. 
That'd be cool. Got some of that stuff. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, and then, um, so, you, you're talking about Richie Houghton playing to 200 people in a, a Yes, thing. did you? Because... Um, Sorry, go on. I was just going to say, the, the best party I've ever been to was yep. Richie Houghton in a hunting lodge in northern Michigan with 150 kids from 150. Metro Detroit. Yeah, yeah. And, says... Okay, so here's how you're going to know I'm from Michigan. Detroit's down here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the party was up here in a town called Grayling, uh, which is a good, like, three or four-hour drive up. Um, and it was unbelievable, just like a bunch of rave kids. Yeah. We, we didn't use the word rave, right? It wasn't cool. Like, mm-hmm. oh, it's a party, right? Or we're, it's techno and stuff. Um, for us, there's a bicoastalism thing of like, oh, it's, it's raves in New York and L.A. And like we're in flyover country. And not only we're we in flyover country, we're in Detroit, which is the murder capital and the armpit of America, right? Mm-hmm. That's how like we were kind of perceived from outside. So we had a bit of a chip on our shoulder about all of that. And so because of that, there's a sort of a Detroit chauvinism that kind of came up around it. And like none of our parties are better. So you than like snobs else's. then? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's <laughs> reactionary, right? Yeah. At the same time, though, I think that being from there kind of keeps you down to earth, right? Yeah, because yeah. like, you know, um, you don't really feel like you're above everybody else right like um like new york and la are kind of like everybody wants to move there and everybody yeah. wants to like Look at have that, that glamorous life and like detroit sort of became an anti-glamour thing especially as kids from like brooklyn were moving in there because it was affordable and stuff but mm-hmm. back in the 70s and 80s it wasn't right like you know it, that, there's a reason it's where robocop was set you know like um that was the sort of cultural impression that mm-hmm. I had. So we developed that and we became also like fiercely um, protective of it too, right? So, and then we started to appreciate this thing that was in our backyard that nobody else really had. Mm-hmm. Right? And that sort of, that kind of set us apart. And here's now something that we can, other than Motown, and Motown was, they moved, right? Um, yeah. they, they were out in uh, California, they, they left. And so, uh, you know, we had all the Motown, I mean, and I mean the music that came out of Motown, you can't compete with Motown's that. just no. unbelievable. You know, man. It's right? fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, like Smokey, Aretha, like, mm-hmm. you know. Um, anyway, Temptations, all of that, oh. like, just unbelievable <laughs> music. So, so you've got that on one side, and so you know we've got that sort of um, cultural uh, legacy, but we didn't have anything that was sort of ours until this kind of thing started to come up. You know, it's 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 really interesting. Um, most of my support as a DJ, or not as a DJ, but as a producer, like people supporting my music and playing my stuff, like I get a lot of um, UK and Ireland support. Um, I think, you know, because the harder stuff kind of fits in uh, with yeah. the style mm-hmm. that, that those guys are doing. Um, and then, like, a lot of support in Detroit, in North America. I think, like, my stuff kind of works in Detroit and LA. Um, that seems to be the people who like what I do. Um, and it's it's being, like, having come up as a white kid um, from Ann Arbor, uh, getting support from like, you know, sort of the core Detroit techno guys, it just means so much to me. Like, um, it just, it blows my mind that that's there even, right? Because the the culture that um, we were dealing with back, you know, in the early 90s, um, there was there was kind of a wall mm-hmm. like, in some ways between mm-hmm. some of it. But the thing is like, I think, you know, there is a certain, not to toot my own horn, but real recognizes real kind of thing. And yeah, like, yeah. You kind of find your community and you find your like-minded people. Um, That's cool, yeah. And, uh, and, yeah, you find your support mechanism and stuff too that way. When, kind of talking about producing and stuff, when did you go from going to the clubs, partying, to deciding that you wanted to produce your own tracks? What kind of led you that way? 
Um, so I'd been in punk bands mm-hmm. um, in high school. None of them were very successful, and we even had like kids being sent to rehab and stuff. So it's sort of the whole rock Sounds and roll quite experience, right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so some of my friends didn't last too long in the bands, um, and so. I got into wanting to make my own stuff um, because I didn't want to have to rely on anybody else or deal with their personalities or any of that stuff. Just like make my music. Yeah. And um, uh, and originally I was kind of like skewing toward industrial and stuff like that. And then when I started going out more heavily and going to the, the techno parties, um, I only had a DX7 uh, at the time. And so I was figuring out stuff to do with that and sequencing on Atari using like Tracks, which is a cut down version of Master Tracks Pro. Yeah. Um, and then there was a whole community in Ann Arbor. Um, and so at that time, there was a radio show called Crush Collision, which was uh, hosted by Brendan Gillen. I think he was the second. Brendan Gillen's half of Ectomorph with Erica. Um, okay. And so, and Ectomorph actually originally uh, was Brendan working with uh, Gerald Donald of Drexia, right? So, um, so that's how they started uh but he had that show and there was there were it was thursday nights and it was like the place to kind of drop in and so i would go there and other guys from the ann arbor scene um community would come in and um you know we would just people had gear for sale and stuff right and so we start trading stuff or loaning stuff like one of the guys um uh john andrews um he uh he recorded as um a new signal is that right? Yeah, New Signal. So I, I got his um, artist name, and one of his track names was confused in my head there for a second. But uh, he recorded his New Signal, and uh, he he was hearing what I was doing, um, and he was one of the really early supportive people for what I was doing. He loaned me a 909 that had at one point had belonged to uh, Jeff Mills. Wow. Right? Oh, right? So I had a former Jeff Mills 909. I had a little happy wow, face man. sticker up in the corner uh, in my basement for like a few weeks. That's right? pretty fucking That's, cool. Right yeah, there. I wish yeah. I still had that. I, <laughs> yeah, I had to doubt. get it back, obviously. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Obviously I lost it. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. yeah I don't know where it is. Yeah, I don't know yeah. where it is. Sorry, I, don't, I don't want to be one like of those guys. That's 303 that you've got there, Brad. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, man. It's mine. But, uh, I mean, stuff sometimes disappears, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that is one of the things with, uh, with those little music communities. Um, and so, but I mean, like, I mean, and, and that place was crazy. Like, uh, anyway, like having that community and um, that's kind of what punched it forward for me. And then also uh, a buddy of mine out in New England, he was living in Connecticut. Uh, that's where he's originally from. He's in Providence these days. But... Um, you know, we were always sort of collaborating on stuff and he would find things in, because the pawn shops around Detroit were mostly like picked over, right? But where he was in Connecticut, um, you're close enough that people are bringing things out from New York. Um, so he's seeing like really good stuff coming through and it's not being picked over because he's in Connecticut. There's not really the same kind of Yeah, people looking for that there. stuff, yeah. Yeah, so he would find stuff in these, oh, I have, you know, I've got such and such, you know, if you want this, like I'll sell it to you for this amount and ship it and whatever, right? So that's, I started building up my stuff that way. Um, and it's just something I was just kind of wanting to do, you know, because mm-hmm. um, I've been involved with writing, with graphics, um, various other creative stuff like that. Music is the one that's probably the most immediate. Um, it takes, I mean, you've got something almost like right away. It mm-hmm. may not be good, right? But like once you sit down, you just can plug a couple things it's in. It's instant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's instant. It's and instant. then it's something that you can take out mm-hmm. and really um, present. Like with. So you. Almost creatively, you're fulfilled fairly quickly. Yeah, and the thing for me too is that uh, every time that I start to do anything creative and I start to do it either seriously or for money, 
I stop enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's what happened with writing. That's what happened with graphics. By writing, you're talking like um, articles or are you talking graph? Uh, fiction um, so short story form Um, I I was an English major with a minor in German so lots of literature um, in university Um, and music was always something I just kind of did off to the side Mm -hmm. Um, and I've always kind of wanted it's my passion and because it's my passion I want to keep it there. Yeah. Because if I start worrying about whether or not I'm paying the rent with it, it's going to become a source of stress. I understand exactly you know? what you mean. There's a, you know, I, I love it. And I don't want to stop loving it. No. Right. You want it to be your creative outlet rather than a means to make money. Yeah. Which would kind of taint that feeling. Absolutely. And that's right? what's happened with everything else. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I can do graphics. I still do it. Um, I, I'm still a solid writer, but I just don't enjoy them the same way. And the thing is also, um, graphics if you want to do graphics for money you got to deal with clients and uh, what tends to happen with graphics I find is that the people who want cool stuff don't have money to pay for mm-hmm. it and the people who have the money to pay for it don't want cool stuff yeah, yeah, right? yeah. so it's Isn't sort that, of like, like yeah. I think that like you're talking about people <laughs> don't want to pay for it I think mm-hmm. that goes like not just graphics but quite a lot of art Oh yeah. People don't want to pay. They like it. They think it looks cool. But if you turn around and say, "Well, actually, okay, I I put this many hours into it. Mm-hmm. I want this much money for it." Well, yeah, and that's a know? tough thing too, because like, there's no necessarily intrinsic value in it, right? It's no. all perceived value. It's perceived value, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and if you start off thinking, "I'm going to make this thing, and I'm going to charge this for it," yeah. Well. No, it's only worth what someone thinks it's worth. Just like right? anything, my house is only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. They, they, they can assess it and tell me it's worth this much. Yeah. That, that's irrelevant. But, but that's the thing. The guy that comes to my front door and says, hey, I want to buy it and I'll mm-hmm. give you this much. That's how much my house is worth. It's the same thing with art. Yeah. Right? But your house also has a practical function. Oh, yeah. Oh, for know? sure. Yes. And, and if you're talking about art, it's hard to say that I'm making this thing. I'm choosing to make it. I'm mm-hmm. choosing to take my time and do this. And But if you're choosing to make it and take your time to do this with the expectation that you're going to have a specific financial outcome from it, you're probably setting yourself up for, for some disappointment. Absolutely. You know, yeah, I agree. Um, but whereas if you make it because you love it and it's something you think looks beautiful within yourself, mm-hmm. someone else might recognize that and say, that looks beautiful and I'll give you this much for it. Yeah, exactly. Right? If, if it's an honest expression mm-hmm. of what you're doing. I mean, you can go both ways, right? You can, yeah. You can sort of say, I'm going to follow this formula. Yeah, I've got my format. Gonna this is going to be my thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to or I see this as selling and I'm going to follow that I'm going to follow that yeah absolutely so I mean and part of it is again finding your thing like I never so for when I when I was kind of first doing stuff I was um, sort of in this mode where I was in between wanting to do like IDM like reflex was a big influence um, and acid um, and uh, techno and sort of merging those three sounds, but not really committing any direction to any of them. And so I was always, I think my sound in my early projects and stuff kind of waffled a little bit. It wasn't necessarily like as um, direct an expression of what I needed to do in order to get people's attention. It just, it was sort of like half, half-baked or something. Mm-hmm. Like it was just sort of like it wasn't really it wasn't, committing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so. It was a bit um, of everything, but not really something. Yeah, and so then I spent some time after I kind of went one direction, um, kind of like figuring out what that was. And then uh, when a buddy booked another guy from uh, L.A. to come up here, he and I were talking, and um, he was like, well, why don't you just sort of follow this? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're into this. Why don't yeah. you do that? And I was like, yeah, okay, you know what? I'll do that. And that's actually kind of what took me to the sort of the next stage of attention, 
um, is that I said, okay, I'm going to trim off the fat. Yeah, right. This I'm just going to be I'm my focus thing. On this, this is it. And, and then what happened is that that sharpened narrower and narrower, and then that also got me some attention within like the industrial techno community, mm-hmm. and so. Um, and I had a track in particular that Dave Clark played um, on um, White Noise um, like a few years back. And then uh, Perk picked it up, but he did an edit of it because it flowed. It was The track was kind of in two halves that um, there was a little transition point between and they were kind of different vibes. Uh, and because of that, it was a little bit difficult if you just kind of wanted to let it ride in a mix. Mm-hmm. And so um, Perk did it and he sort of looked at it and he restructured it to how he would play. Um, and then I'm on Facebook and I get this message that says, uh, hi, my name's Allie. Um, I really like this track you did, but I did an edit of it cause it didn't flow the way. And it was just, uh, so I went ahead and made an edit of it. Um, I'll give it to you if you want to have it on your label. Um, you can do whatever you want with it basically. Right. Like, and, and he didn't charge me because he just went ahead and did it. Like did it, yeah. I didn't ask him to do it. He just, he just did it. Um, and so that was sort of my, uh, intro. I mean, I, I knew Perk as an artist, but I didn't know him as a person, right? Yeah, so, that, yeah. so he reached out to me because he liked this track, and then we started talking and, that's cool. and stuff mm-hmm. after that. But, um, you know, um, and so that's when things kind of just started to pick up a little bit when I was like, okay. But because of that, it also sort of started me down this um, direction of doing more heavier industrial-oriented stuff. Uh, whereas my stuff wasn't quite as heavy uh, prior to that. And so it kind of got heavier and heavier. Um, because of his style or just... Because like, I was finding that audience, right? Okay, yeah, and, yeah, And yeah, the labels yeah. that were coming to me for remixes gotcha. and yep. the labels that wanted stuff from me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where I was finding my success. Um, but at the same time, it's like, okay, I'm kind of getting into waters that isn't, isn't my sort of native swimming route mm-hmm. or something, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, but hooked up with gobsmacked um they're great um and dirty minds so gobsmacked's based out of berlin but it's like a couple irish guys that run it um and then uh dirty minds based they're in ibiza now but they were previously in italy um and that is uh, irregular synth uh vincenzo palumbo awesome dude um and i was working with um a guy who's sort of doing some management for my label at the time um and so he also kind of helped propel some stuff um but that's the other funny thing like industrial industrial techno has kind of seeped into all techno lately mm-hmm. yeah and um i kind of miss releases that aren't covered in skulls <laughs> you know um not and i have plenty of releases that do have skulls I, i'm not I'm always directly involved with the cover art um but just that when i moved here from michigan in 2000 um and I would say I was into techno, people here would be like, oh, yeah, I'm not really into that angry music. Yeah. And to me, techno's not angry music, right? Nah. It's, it's got an edge, but it's <clears throat> badass. There's a difference between angry and badass. Yeah. I always, I got to admit, mm-hmm. instantly, as soon as I hear techno, and, and again, I know some North Americans think all electronic music is techno or EDM. No, nah. mm-hmm. when, when we talk about techno, I do almost think industrial sound. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, because techno has that industrial edge. It does. Yeah, harder. It does. It's a harder edge, yeah. right? Yeah, it's so, not as soft. No, it's for, a little bit more serious. Yeah. So, as right? as a form of of house music, this is what I see the distinction, right? So, you have house music formed in Chicago, and it came out of the community it came out of. Mm-hmm. In um, you had guys going into Detroit, or sorry, going into Chicago from Detroit. So, like the Belleville Three, for example, they were influenced by what was happening in Chicago. 
Uh, you know, Juan Atkins probably was a bit more influenced by the electro coming out of New York initially. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at the records that they were making, like Kevin Saunderson stuff, is really rooted in that Chicago kind yeah, of yeah, definitely. Um, awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and he does have stuff that is also Detroit techno, straight mm-hmm. up, right? Like um, yeah, um, uh, what's like his Maurice project and stuff, right? Um, and all that. But I think if you're talking like pure techno, I think um, Derek May's stuff is probably foundationally originally Derek more. May like that right yeah but at the same time he was influenced by what was coming out of chicago and he was going into chicago and hearing the house music in the clubs there and then sort of bringing that back to uh, detroit and the distinction where i think that um the detroit techno branch off of house um sort of differentiates itself uh is that um it's a more abstract sound it's a yeah. little colder it's got that industrial influence it's got it's almost and got then, the sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but mm-hmm. it's almost got that whole Again, almost punk, raw, and that's the Detroit part of it. It's rough, yeah, right. Detroit's rough and ready. Chicago, rough and ready, tends to be a little more more polished. Yeah, polished. Yeah, Yeah, man, and you can hear that difference. Yeah, hundred percent, right. And 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 so you you sort of take that industrial thing, um, a little bit more Afrofuturism. Um, there is there is Afrofuturism in Chicago House, mm-hmm. but in Detroit, it's one of the primary pillars that holds up the idea of techno yeah. and um, stuff. But sorry. So I was going to say, um, obviously you've been to Germany, right, and listened mm-hmm. to the techno there. What would you say is the difference between the techno there to Detroit? Obviously, Detroit is more grassroots, more where it, gets to, it came from. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Germany obviously molded it to their scene. Like, mm-hmm. how, but you, cause it, I find Germany obviously, embraced it, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. but like... <laughs> You know, techno is industrial because mainly it's coming from industrial cities. So Detroit mm-hmm. is industrial, and in Berlin it was, you know, it's an industrial city. So, mm-hmm. what, was, what would you say the differences between the two, like to you, coming so, from Detroit? Yeah, so I think there's, um, I, I, I don't see Detroit, I don't see techno having uh, been birthed in Detroit and then going to Germany because the guys in Detroit were listening to German bands. Yeah. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's hard to say like it, like it didn't come out fully formed out of nothing. Right? No, no, no. Um, no, and for so, sure. yeah, so you've got, you've got craft work. I was going to say craft yeah. work right there. Yeah. Back to 1972, right? Um, 70s man. And, and the guys in Detroit were listening to that. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's a cross pollination already occurring. It's just that it formed as a particular sort of genre or approach. It's not even really a genre. It's a, it's an approach. Basically, named it right. Yeah. Well. Okay. So, but you know how that happened with the compilation, right? No. Is this what I'm asking you? Because obviously, I know know I've read history stuff about, but you're from there, so I'm taking opportunity to. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, (laughs) yeah. So there was a uh, a compilation that was being put together to focus on Detroit house music at the time. They were calling it that, and um, Juan Atkins had a track called techno music. And um, they looked at that and said, oh, man, that's what we should call the compilation, basically. So uh, the compilation took the name from Juan Atkins' track, and it became Techno, the new dance sound of Detroit, right? Uh, Prior to that, the differentiation between Chicago House and the music that was coming out of Detroit, there wasn't as solid of a thing. There wasn't like, but that's where you can see the stake being put in the ground, that Mm -hmm. this this is a statement. This is 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 Detroit style. This is our sound. This is yeah. a, this is yeah. techno. This is you know, um, and a lot of the early stuff really does owe a debt to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, Chicago is a cultural powerhouse in the Midwest. It's one of the biggest cities in the United States. It's probably in terms of its influence, um, you know, east of the Mississippi. It's second only to New York. 
right? Um, especially where we are in the Great Lakes, because it's the big city in the Great Lakes. Uh, Detroit would have competed with it up until the 1960s, um, but you know, Detroit kind of uh, it went through what it went through. Um, so two thirds of the population of the city basically left, uh, yeah. went out to the suburbs. Yeah, right? and so um, anyway. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of that's that's where it differentiated, and the style um, became more stripped down and more abstract. And then I think when you go to Germany, um, you have, you know, you had like techno club, um, which was a night at the Dorian Gray at the um, Frankfurt Airport, right, um, with um, Tala Two XLC DJing, um, and you had all the influence of like you know um, By God Twenty and. You know um, the whole like uh, EBM um, style uh, of industrial and stuff too, and so you've got all that, and all this stuff is sort of happening at the same time. And um, I think there's a lot of reverberation between Detroit and um, and Berlin, but I think that the German sound tends to be more clinical. Um, the yeah. Detroit sound still has like that raw kind of natural, not natural. There's a soul to it, yeah, right? It's yeah, got, yeah, it's yeah. got that, more that Motown with the, with the hats and the, 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 I, I, I yeah, agree. snares. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, Ger- Germans naturally are a little bit structured, aren't they? Yeah, like, I, I you know was an Ordnung, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're mm-hmm. regimented. That's, yeah. that's probably a quite good word to use. I think so. There's, and there's I think a, the way they approach a lot of things is regimented and structured and this is how it's done. Yeah, there's a spe- there's an expectation of how you do things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, yeah. Right. Um, like again, like the the concept of alles in Ordnung, like everything, it's in order. This is how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And um, also, I mean, the foundation of Detroit Techno in a lot of ways also comes out of churches, right? A lot of the musicians yeah, oh, are church musicians. For sure. Yeah. And yeah. so you've got that sort of soul underpinning. Soul, gospel mm. feel. Absolutely. Yeah, much more warmer. As yeah, well. the Germans is a bit more, cold. but not as warm as Chicago House. No, <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Yes. So here's somewhere in between the yeah. two. Yeah, and then of course you get into like the Netherlands and you get that whole sort of like Rotterdam sound and yeah, and just dialing up the the. It's um, mad, isn't it? I always, I like, even mm-hmm. even even in England, like it sounds just just changed from town to town. Like, mm-hmm. You know, and it has happened in the east coast of America and it's yeah. ha- in Germany. It's happening in Europe. Yeah, uh, well, the uh, Manchester sound, right? Like, um, yeah, you I mean, know. you know, even even Leeds, that, mm-hmm. like, we got garage music or garage music. Bristol mm-hmm. too. There's yeah, another mm-hmm. city. That you know that that produced. changed. That was a yeah a, a, a UK thing, but there's different sounds from Leeds, Birmingham, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, yeah. I mean, go, uh, so going on to releases, then. So, when did you? What, what year was your first release of your first like track? The first one that came out technically yeah. 97, um, 97 and that was on glue records it was a 12 inch called soil and uh there's a 12 minute track on one side and then two like six minute tracks on the other side uh and th- that was sort of had my first hit like i mean it's qualified i'm gonna say hit because it's a hit relative to anything i've done mm-hmm. um but it was a track called give us this day and i <laughs> i from start to finish, from the from the time that I came up with the concept to when it was on DAT, it was about forty five minutes. Wow! Um, and what was the studio set up then for that? Sorry, what was the studio set up for yeah. that? Oh, uh, it was yeah, in my dad's basement, um, and my monitors were just hi fi speakers. Um, I had a Novation base station uh, rack. Uh, I for a distortion unit, I was using a Radio Shack uh, mic line mixer because yeah. it just had no headroom. <laughs> Um, and it, but it sounded awesome. You put the bass station through that, and it was like, you know, it was raw. Uh, drums, I was using uh, original model R8, uh, and then an S550 Roland sampler. 
and then a DX7 and an Alpha Juno Yamaha? Two. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And then, uh, yeah, Roland Alpha Juno 2. And is there anything else in it? I don't think so. It's a really simple track. It's it's a two-bar drum loop uh, with that has a couple little change-ups. Um, it's some noise loops out of the uh, sampler. It's like some held strings or something um, out of the Juno, and then an acid line going through the bass station. Nice. And um, yeah, it's just really raw, really dirty. Because like even before any of the notes start, you could hear the <laughs> from like the radio shack mixer. <laughs> I'm not even feeding a signal into it. Yeah, and it's just like it's just ugly. Just it sounds like all the dirt that was on because it was a Michigan basement. It was unfinished. It was just like you know, uh, concrete um, and. That wasn't actually originally supposed to be on the EP. Um, what ended up happening is we were driving to National Sound um, to get it cut. Um, that's Ron Murphy. Uh, he was, he's the guy who cut really all the important Detroit records um, in the 80s and the 90s. Um, he also cut like Basic Channel and, and all that stuff. Uh, and cool. so he cut two records for me previously. Um, so prior to working with Glue Records, I was uh, associated with a record uh, label called Smart Records. Uh, that was out of Ann Arbor, and that was distributed by Intellinet. And I cut two EPs for them, but um, they didn't come out before the label was dropped from Intellinet. So um, probably somewhere there are some um, test pressings or um, lacquer or plates, anyway, yeah. uh, of those two records um, out there. So maybe some whoever picked up the collection from the Intellinet warehouse, might be able to press it one day. or they might be in a. Uh, yeah, um, oh, landfill yeah. somewhere. That's so cool. Um, but yeah. uh, so I got those. Those didn't come out. That one came out. It went into a second pressing, and it was distributed through Seventh City, which was um, Dan Bell. And so uh, that was really cool. That's that's probably the release I actually made the most money from. How was it feeling getting your first bit of vinyl? Oh, amazing! I, I can't. I can't yeah. even imagine. Yeah, I have one copy of it left. Yeah. I, I had I, at one point. I had seven. I think something like that. Maybe five. I had like three white labels and then two um, official pressings. I, I but, just couldn't imagine yeah. someone giving me back a bit of vinyl and being like, yeah, I made that. Yeah. It's mad, isn't it? Like, it's like, oh, my music's online. Like, this is the hard copy of like. Yeah, cool. well, yeah. it's also, I mean, there used to be lots of barriers to entry, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I mean, there's a good and a bad aspect of that, right? Like mm. now, like a large run of records is like 300 copies. Right, that's insane. Like when we did our pressing back in the day, I think we did 500, and then we did like a second 250 or something. I, I don't know. Um, I cut it and it was pressed, and then I moved to New Mexico for a year. So I was away from Ann Arbor when the record came out. And the label sent me um, the stuff, but mm -hmm. so I wasn't around in Detroit when the record was actually around. So bad timing on my part there. <laughs> um, but uh, but it got good attention. Um, people liked it. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I had a few copies. And I've been hit up even recently with people wanting to buy copies of it off me. And I'm like, I'm not selling my last one. You know? No. Like, Do not sell that last one. Repress, man. Do a uh, repress, bro. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It sounds pretty dated by this time. Yeah. I've got to admit, mate, I still, I've, mm -hmm. I, we were talking earlier before we started recording the show, I bought all my vinyl from England. Mm -hmm. I still it's all I mix now I've got DVS I could do digital vinyl I don't I don't mm -hmm. man I play my vinyl and some of those tracks are yeah um, early 90s mm -hmm. right late 80s early 90s to 2000-ish some of it man still sounds fucking oh, yeah. great to timeless. me oh yeah there's it's some timeless. tracks that are timeless like, like you know yeah. the, the, half the kids out there would be like, whoa, that sounds fresh. That, you, you, Brad played a set a while back. Oh, yeah. At the, at the end of his set, set, he played um, Energy Flash. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that... 
some of the people that's in the a club once in a lifetime he told one girl really? you, you were like it's it's like however yeah, many years I, old really yeah they're like some, what some 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 uh, wow right uh, well, that's the thing the history is a just... lovely young like young lady came up to me and was mm-hmm. like oh what track's this and I played it as uh, my closing track mm-hmm. and I, it was one twenty three BPM and I had to put it to yeah. like one thirty two right and it's even sounding great doing that mm-hmm. I was like this song's older than me and you she's like what I'm like I'm 30, 30, 31 years old and this song is the same is yeah. older than you and I this, it's an, mate, and me, she's like again and for me that was right when we were raving oh, when yeah. that track came yeah. out that was peak well, peak that, English rave days and, 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 and literally like, we I used to play that track over and over that's and what, all over fuck, it? and over again because again the noises like you say that between that and um, Joey Belcham's remix of Dominator. Oh, fuck yeah, man. Man, that's all he would have needed to do, right? Yeah. To be a legend. You right? could just, just play those two, two tracks all night long yeah. and probably keep a party going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and everyone would be like, <laughs> okay, yeah, play it again. Yeah. <laughs> one more time. <laughs> yeah, one more time. Go on, man. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's like, speed, right? Yeah, getting back to Hard Floor for him. I mean, we haven't talked about Hard Floor here, but mm-hmm. we've been talking about them before. Sorry, go but they, um, you know, like... I uh, there there was a young couple who moved here and was like spent some time and like people tend to think nothing's happening here like they're going to come in and take over and stuff and so I think they kind of had that mentality yeah. and um, it just blew my mind because we were driving somewhere and Experience One came on and they never heard it and I was like like one of the greatest acid tracks yeah ever you've never right? heard it you've never heard of Experience you wanna, One you want to break the scene. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not putting it on in that way no no no, no. but but it's just it just blows my mind but i mean that's the thing too is that like these days again like getting back to how the barrier of entry is so low that anytime a track comes out it has two weeks to get noticed basically in digital mm-hmm. um, beyond that it, there is a long tail um but if you, if the track doesn't break in two weeks it probably won't break interesting right? and so what tends to, what I tend to find sell stuff is if a particularly large uh, name puts it in a mix that's visible, you know. Like I had a track for Gobsmacked, um, which was called Malediction, um, and that came out uh, a couple years, a few years back. And um, Dax J played it as the second oh, track. Dax J, I've seen him live. Oh yeah, it was like, but uh, he played it as the second track, opening a set for New Year's Eve, like 2018 or something, and. It went to the top of Gobsmacked's um, charts for like over a year, I think, out of that. Or, well, close to a year, something like that. I don't want to <coughs> exaggerate, but, um, you know, just that's where things get noticed, right? Is that, Absolutely. You know, and then there's another track that Cobasil played. Um, is that right? Cobasil, right? Eh? Yeah, yes. uh, not, not one of mine, but one of mine off the label. Yeah. Uh, it's a remix of, um, well, the remix is by, oh, man, this is terrible. <laughs> it's my own label. I should know this. Um uh, it's a guy from Spain. Um, uh, it'll come to me. But anyway, Cobasil uh, played it, and I still get bites off of that um, through Bandcamp from people finding that Cobasil set from Awakenings, right? And being like, and this is like going back five years now. Wow. Right? Wow. And people still pick that track up. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, my ones that have been featured in like, again, visible mixes, like um, I had a track that came out on Perk Tracks um, called uh, Rushing to Singularity. Um, it was the bonus track on the Forever Volume 1 um, compilation. Um, funny story about how I knew I wasn't going to be on the vinyl uh, about that in a moment. But um, 
Uh, Denson Pika played it at um, a large festival in Croatia. And oh, really? You know, from that, there's some big names playing tracks. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah um, wicked. We brought Rebecca in 2018. Oh yeah, she's from Birmingham as well, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's yeah. wicked. It's funny. Um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's super cool. I'm actually. She's just, awesome. I'm um, just gonna grab a bit of this right now. So, yeah. with with the with the yellow vinyl, then you put it under a different name, right? Um, so I have Am a I couple different project names. Um, I mostly focus on Jay Garrett. Sometimes people list me as Josh Garrett or J. Dot Garrett. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jay Garrett's the primary name. Countered yep. is a name that I use if I want to do something that's maybe a little bit outside of what I would normally do, but. I've been casting a wider net as Jay Garrett even, so I don't really need as much of a differentiation. But Countered is like was sort of where I was doing kind of like more straight up acid or well, oblique acid maybe like yeah. a little bit funnier. Because I looked online, okay. you also done a mix uh, for Emily Lenz, right? That's what I was doing. She done one, and she she like supported it or something. Yeah, she. Um, I did a remix of uh, the Goat for Quintessence Records. And yeah, he's she a liked Vancouver my, boy, right? Yeah, yeah. He's living up in uh, Prince Rupert these days, but uh, yeah, he's part of the Vancouver crowd. Um, mm. So he comes back periodically, and and his his uh, ties are very tight here. So he's great. Um, very, he's doing really cool stuff. I, full support for him. Mm. Um, but yeah, so he asked me to do this remix, and I knew I turned in something that was probably a little bit. Um, more frenetic and crazier than I, I did two tracks I, I did two mixes uh, one was the one that came out which we, I called Jay Garrett's Hectic Mix and then the other one was um, uh, an influence mix it was more of a Detroit kind of sound yeah, yeah. Um, and then what ended up happening is we went with the Hectic Mix and then I turned the Detroit Mix into a different track and tweaked a little bit removed the parts that came from the remix uh, yeah. pack and then um, called that um Pine Tar, and that came out on Rennie's label. Cool. And so, um, but there is a version of Influence that I still have around that is like the Pine Tar version. Yeah. So it has all those parts and stuff. But yeah, um, I've gotten more into just like, okay, if I'm making it, it's Jay Garrett. And then for some of the labels I'm working from, particularly like um, when I'm working with some of the guys in Detroit, like they'll list me as Josh Garrett. Um, and when I do certain mastering, if I get credited, I get credited as Josh Garrett. Um, yeah. So probably the biggest mastering credit I've had um, that's been visible uh, was um, Orlando Vorn's release on Axis, um, which again is like I, I, I mastered a release that came out on Jeff Mills' label. Like that's, that's amazing, yeah, right? Man, like Jeff Mills nuts. is my reason for being in techno. Right? Yeah, 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 I mean, and to, and to produce something that's on his label is yeah. insane, mate. And so I got yeah. to um, I got to. Have you, have you guys been to Detroit? Have you been I've never been. I've never been, man. I was picking your brain earlier because okay. I was like, okay, you know, we've got a guy from the from the ground now. Yeah, so I um, a few years back uh, when the one that I did with Rennie came out, um, uh, I was in Detroit and I went down to the Submerge um, and I uh, um, I got to talk to Bridget Banks, who is um, Mike Banks's sister, and she runs uh, the shop. And um, I got to tell her that, like, I, I saw my record on the wall the mm-hmm. one I do with Rennie right they had it up on the wall and actually when I came in um, Scourge ran over and picked it up and he threw my track on while I was that's pretty cool <laughs> in the shop which was like awesome um, but anyway so I was talking with Bridget and I said you know like it means a lot to me that my record's up on your wall because like you know uh, Mike's music is you know some of my number one X101 you know Jeff Mills yeah um, that's what got me really into techno, moved me over from industrial, you know? And like that to me is like, that's, and like, of course, you know, um, 
Mike's productions for you are are probably the ones that have stuck with me the longest, like, you know, Final Frontier um, and um, the Electronic Warfare, double 12-inch, stuff like that. Like, uh, I love Jeff Mills' productions, but there's something about... Jeff's stuff is cold, right? Like, it's very intellectual and very, like, you mm-hmm. know, which is part of what appeals to me. <laughs> but Mike's stuff is, again, it's more personable, um, and there's, like, just something really, like... You know, just like it, it's like high nutrition. Yeah. There's a high nutritional value in, in Mike Banks's music. And I got to meet him once actually um, back in the day. Uh, in 93, we were hanging out at Crush Collision, that radio show in Ann Arbor. And um, Mike uh, came by the radio show uh, with Mark Ernestus. This probably would have been 94, 95, because my buddy Ian was living in yeah, Ann Arbor then. Um, and so they came in and they wanted to interview Mark on the air. But because he's half of Basic Channel, and Basic Channel at that time was like completely anonymous, they couldn't say who he was, right? They couldn't say his name or who he's associated with. So it's just like interview with this, you know, anonymous random German man <laughs> on the air. But yeah. it was it was still very cool to be able to say, you know. Oh, absolutely. And uh, and I was wearing these red plaid pants with like these big Nike train or um, Adidas trainers. And uh, Mike comes up. He's like, "I like your pants." <laughs> like your pants. Man. I was like, "Oh, right thanks, on, man. Bro. Yeah, yeah right on, bro. got him for free." He's like, "That's the way to do it." <laughs> <laughs> so, what are yeah. your future plans then for your releases? D, if you are doing any DJing, um, um, so I'm not forward. doing too much DJing now. Um, so I've kind of like my my passion's playing live. I like to be playing my own stuff, and mm-hmm. um, you know, my live set is long enough that I could probably do six hours um, cool. these days. Um, Hardware or just in the box? Yeah, sometimes I, I can bring my TT three hundred three out with it. Yeah, um, but like what what my live set mostly is is either tracks that I've been working on that I've sketched up to a certain point where I, I can play them out, mm-hmm. um, or they are live. Uh, variations of studio tracks so i'll use the studio tracks to create loops and stems um and then it's basically i have like uh, i guess like 10 tracks across of actual loops and content try to get as much into audio as i can to Mm -hmm. reduce you know overhead and likelihood of problems Um, i have two tracks that are midi so i have one that's instruments if i have to modulate something in a way that doesn't work well with just running a filter on like if the filter has to be connected to an envelope i'll probably keep that in midi yeah because i I won't have the same way to modulate yeah yeah, yeah. um and then i'll have a drum track that is um synth drums like like a vst Um, i like to use um, the d16 version of the 909 drum is on is awesome so i use that um and then the d16 version of 808 nefeton I've got both of those in there. There's a couple weird things with the way the kick drum works in Nefeton, but... Do you use Ableton, right? Sorry, cut you off. You use Ableton, yeah? Yeah, Ableton's use, uh, my, my uh, push as well. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, when I'm playing live, I'll have a push two, and then I'll have one or two MIDI fighter twisters um, mm-hmm. so that I can modulate pretty much anything in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the audio interface I use is an RME Babyface Pro, um, which, you know, uh, I, I have a mastering chain in my live stuff, so... When I send it out, my okay, I'm going to get a little technical, but the, uh, my RMS is running at negative eight point two, so it gives a really nice punchy yeah, loud. You're, you're a you geek. can crank <laughs> up a bit more in certain areas. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's like it, it it should sound just as good as a DJ, yeah. right? Because the thing is, when you're playing live, a lot of people when they're playing live, um, they'll just send the signal out from the mixer, and uh, if they're not post processing to do compression and limiting and maximizing and EQ to get the whole thing together. Uh, if you're playing next to a DJ 
who's playing mastered tracks, you're going to sound weak. Your bass isn't going to be yeah, strong. I, it's going to be as punchy. I've had that trouble with mine because I'm playing it straight from the mixer. I do mm. need to get some like compression pedals or something, or just something at least, just to sort of just yeah, you gotta get your your bass together. Yeah, just and, to yeah. fucking put yeah, melt it down a bit more. And even like when I opened for Perk, um, when we brought him here in 2017, I didn't have the same mastering chain that I have now. So I was playing; it was going well, and then Perk came on, and all of a sudden the sound was like, you know, like, yeah. like you know, I had a little breakfast patty, and he had like a proper banger, right? Yeah, like, yeah, you know? yeah. So I was like, okay. <laughs> so, so I, I, I the next day I updated my sound card, and then I spent time uh, improving my mastering chain on my live set. So now it's like, and so I opened for I Hate Models in um, L.A. back in 2019, mm-hmm. and um, after my set, like the the guys who were on the soundboard came up and like. That was like the tightest like sounding live set we've had and stuff. I was like, That's okay, cool. cool. I'm glad to hear yeah, that because yeah, like yeah. it's worth the investment of time. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Effort. Yeah, time. Yeah. And so, and um, uh, Brad already asked, did you have anything kind of coming up in the future that you've got booked up? Um, so I've there's a remix that's coming out shortly on RF um, of Tao Andra, um, and so that is. That that's that's already on Beatport, so you can listen to the mm-hmm. preview, and that'll be for sale um, on, on St. Patrick's Day. Actually, that's coming out on Rennie's. Yeah, yeah, so right. March seventeenth, yeah. that'll cool. be out, and then um, uh, I've, I'm doing a track uh, that'll be coming out later in the year on RWIS, um, which will be a compilation track. So um, that's run by the Butcher out of Detroit. Awesome dude, Sean Tate, a uh, good friend of mine, and awesome, awesome guy, and. Um, he uh, he runs that label, and he's been hit. so. I did a remix of one of his tracks that was on his very first release on the label, and then this will be an original, and that'll be coming out on vinyl. And he does short runs, where every the colorway of every copy is different. Um, it's really cool how they do that. But uh, anyway, so um, every every edition you get, like like you know, these are colored, but they're both yellow. Right? Yeah. So he'll have one that'll be like raspberry, and it'll be gray, cool. and it'll That's be like cool gold fuck, color, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. it's very cool. And so um, so there's that, and then I did a remix of Woody McBride that um, I think he's shopping around an EP. Uh, so he's doing a re-release of the EP that he did with Subspec. I kind of um, I ran Subspec from. Uh, basically spring 2012 until the end of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and originally when I started is because I just wanted to do what I wanted to do and not have to worry about working with other labels and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've got to a point now where I have a bunch of different labels that I can send stuff to um, that, you know, I have a pretty good chance that they'll, one of those is going to pick up pick whatever up. I'm doing. Yeah. Nice. And so I don't really need my own label as a platform the same way. And it was also just getting to be a headache. Um, so I was like, okay, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. So I um, I shut down Subspec. It still exists uh, on Bandcamp, but it's not in all of the stores. And then um, for any of the artists that um, that I wasn't able to pay out uh, because like we didn't achieve the payout threshold, yeah, um, all rights go back to them anyway. Um, and especially if it's within a year and they haven't received anything, all rights go back. So all of, all rights of all the releases that were released on Subspec have reverted to the artists that produced it. So mm-hmm. they can do whatever they want. So Woody hit me up, or hit me up and he's like, hey, what's happened? I see like, the stuff's not in the stores. And he had been playing that track again and stuff. And so uh, he wanted to know if I wanted to re-release it. But I said, like, yeah, man, you got all the rights to it. So if you want to do something with it. And then he's like, okay, that's cool. He's like, if you'd be up for doing a remix, I'd love to have you do that. And yeah. So I was like, so that was really cool and really appreciate that. Because, I mean, that, there again, there's like, like an old hero of mine from you know uh, yeah. back in the day and being able to work with them and yeah, stuff. Must mm-hmm. be, um, yeah and Woody's an awesome dude too like there's a bunch of guys like that like Woody and Claude Young you know Claude Young's awesome guy um, really good friend and uh, 
you know, to be able to work with him and oh, for sure, stuff. You must know, be, yeah, must amazing. be an amazing feeling. Yeah. I actually wish we had a turntable here. I should bring down one yeah. of the spare ones. <laughs> but, but, yeah, we can actually slap it on because again, it's original content. I we think also, play. yeah, um, if we if we did do another episode of the flyers, we mm-hmm. could put some vinyl on of your tracks yeah, and go for sure. it. Um, yeah. I've always I've always asked this question at the end: uh, yeah. Is what advice would you give to new up and coming DJs and producers uh, coming in the scene now? Whether it be production tips, DJ tips, or just breaking out in the scene itself? Yeah, I think you know. Um, I mean, what that's a tough one, right? Because like uh, it all kind of happens in different ways. I think the main thing is to find your community, yeah. find your like-minded people, um, but at the same time, like. When you're networking, it, it needs to be organic, right? Like, mm-hmm. because you've got a common interest, meet the people who like think similarly to you or, or can expose you to things that you haven't considered but are supportive um, and you're kind of heading in the same direction at least, you know. And, um, but with networking, you gotta be careful because um, you can't treat it like networking. You can't be like, okay, I'm gonna be friends with this person or I'm gonna meet this person and I'm gonna get this out of it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because people will smell that on you. 100%. And uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is like, um, most of the stuff that I've got where I've got people supporting me and who I support is because we appreciate working with each other and we like what the other person's doing. Uh, And there's a mutual respect there. And, you know, I'm not looking to I'm not like if if I bring a smaller like when I'm promoting and I haven't done any parties in a while and I may kind of step back from that anyway. We'll see what happens. I mean things are opening back up, but I, I prefer to play than to produce events. Yeah. Um, but you know we were producing events to bring people nobody else was at the time. Um, but when I'm bringing somebody small, I'm not bringing them with any expectation that they're going to bring me back to their market right yeah yeah for sure you know like it's it's just got to be i like what you're doing if you like what i'm doing organically that's a bonus. exactly that's a bonus yeah, yeah. Right? but like if yeah. i'm doing it like it, it can't be mercenary no right that's just no. um i, I think was, it's the I advice that i would as give. well didn't mean to cut you off but sure <laughs> you got two copies of this here is there any chance we can steal one of these oh they, these are all for you guys okay well oh, how yeah. about before you leave you can mm-hmm. sign the cover oh sure yeah and we'll give it away yeah okay. right we, we yeah. got one uh rennie signed one for us as well okay. so maybe we could get you to sign this one we'll do a little when the show goes out in the air sure we at the end of it we can uh give it away with it i guess yeah okay yeah. sounds good that'd be cool cool no, that, that'd be pretty cool i actually man. can't wait yeah. to go home and listen to that yeah so actually a little bit thing of this this is a little detroit history too um this logo is smiley yeah yeah and um we did it was it was actually designed to be. Did you design it? Yeah, this is a design nice. I did back in in, in like ninety three. Yeah, and it, obviously it's a radiation symbol. Yeah, in yeah. The face, so yeah, um, but it uh, it was supposed to be for Sense Productions out of Chicago, but he went for a different logo. So we had that sitting around, and we we're like, "What are we gonna do with this?" So we just made stickers. We just like put it different sizes on sheets, cut them up, and we started going to parties. And we just and like just started, slap them up. Yeah, just giving them to people, right? So oh, we, yeah, we nice. would walk into parties with like stacks of stickers like that, and just yeah. right. And then it got all over the Midwest. And then we were like, let's start making T-shirts. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. so it became a thing for a little while. Nice. And um, in the back of, um, yeah, I know I'm kind of extending things here. No, but, that's okay, uh, man. Plastic Man Archives, um, yeah. the book. Uh, so the full edition. I'm actually listed in the back of it, but Rich couldn't remember my last name, so I'm listed as Josh Smiley. Josh Smiley, cool, man. <laughs> that's fucking awesome. So it's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so, so cool. Anyway. Yeah. No, uh, thanks for coming on, man. You've, uh, one, you've given us a, 
obviously you told us your music journey you've given us a geographical sort of <laughs> lesson and a history lesson which is also cool. it's all part of it right it's, it's yeah. wicked it's absolutely been, it's been great to chat Josh yeah, I, mate, I, I yeah. tell you mate I really would like to do an episode with our flyers like let's I say, do it you show me yours I'll show you mine let's do it okay yeah absolutely <laughs> awesome <laughs> sounds like a plan right on thanks for coming cool. on mate thanks it's been a great chat yeah, thanks for having me it was a lot of fun buddy.